Well, amazing. Thank you uh, very much for being here this evening. It's lovely to be back. If you're uh, here for the first time, welcome. My name's Richard. I'm on the team here. Uh, and last week, we were looking at a random little-known book called Zephaniah. Um, and we finished with this amazing verse, Zephaniah 3.17. It says that the Lord rejoices over us with gladness, like he's a welcoming us back home, that he quietens us with his love, and that he rejoices over us with singing, like he announces us to the world in a sort of sing-song way, going, this is Zoe, and I love her. Uh, you know, probably more tunefully than that, because he's God. And uh, Levi was looking worried at the back, so it's a platonic one there. Um, but it, it was an amazing thing. And it was amazing to get to the end of Zephaniah, where we'd had two and a half chapters of uh, God just pointing out our wickedness. We're more wicked than we've ever imagined. And then suddenly to find out that we're more loved than we ever dreamed. And after the service, um, I don't know who it was, you may be here, but uh, someone was chatting to, to one of my friends, a, a girl called Beth. And, um, and Beth was chatting to her, and, and a conversation must have gone something like this. You know, do you know why you're here? Not quite sure. Um, would you like to know more? Yeah, okay. Well, let me lead you to know Jesus. And I was thinking to myself all through this week, I wonder about the people watching online. I wonder about the people here at the six o'clock this evening. I wonder what you would have said if you had been sitting next to uh, the person who was here last week. Would you have known what to say next to them? Um, so dotted around the church on the little tables and over there just behind Becky, who's gonna be painting during the talk, um, uh, painting sort of a response to the, the sermon and so forth to share at the end, um, are some tiny little tracks, all ones that I've picked up down the last 23 years or so. It includes um, a slightly comical one that I used to give out when I just left university. I used to leave it on train stations and stuff like that and wait for someone to call me back for an amazing gospel message. I actually found out that one of the tracks, the blue one, um, I left in Birmingham uh, Station. They did phone up the phone number on it, and someone did become a Christian through one of these random track things. Um, but the reason I'm putting them out is not because I'm saying you should litter Chiswick with tracks necessarily, but in 60 seconds, would you know how to explain the good use of Jesus? Now, Ethan uh, thinks he does. So, um, Ethan, let's give him a round of applause. Uh, come on, come on out the front, Ethan. <laughs> Hasn't had much uh, notice on this, but uh, how would you do it? Um, well, we were talking upstairs before the service about how we would talk about the gospel, and um, we had a discussion about... Um, how it's a story and how um, it affects us all really deeply because um, it shows us more to who God really is as a person um, and who he is. And Tolly raised this really interesting point about um, how the resurrection of Jesus is so important because it really shows um, it really shows how there's something beyond death and there's something that happens um, that, you know, that that's how we as humans can be, can come back to earth and, um, and, just, and just have a new life with him. Um, and so yeah, the gospel is the story of Jesus. It talks about um, how he lived and how he helped people and he just went around um, and just changed lives. And his life is an example to all of us um, of how we can do it. Brilliant. Let's give him a round of applause. That's uh, gospel in a nutshell. 
And Tolu has actually spent a whole year up in Manchester being trained as a sort of a crack evangelist uh, by the Message Trust. So Tolu, up you come. We had him up last week. Since he was up last week, you've actually released the album. Yeah, how's it going so far? Everyone wants to know. Yeah, really good. Uh, it's what, two and a half thousand streams? Amazing. Have you all streamed it yet? Go on, kick yeah, it, kick in there. He's, he's getting there. Okay, so uh, 60 seconds, Tolly. How do you explain the gospel? Can I just say that year was like two or three years ago, so it's, I forgot all the tools. But um, a way I would say it is uh, there's a wider story uh, of the relationship between God and human beings and humans separating themselves from life uh, and living in death. And the gospel was the story of God coming into that story and actually being the bridge to life. So he comes to earth, he lives a life as Jesus shows us how we can live. Um, and then all of the horrible things we've done, the bad things we've done, he pays the debt for that by dying for us um, and actually coming back to life to show us that there is more beyond death and that he's conquered death. And he gives us his spirit in order to help us live the life that he lived and uh, come into life with him and come into relationship with him. So for me, that's what the gospel is. How, how'd I do? Did he stick to time there, guys? Oh. That, that, that was under six. It's very good. It's like, and if we if we were just to put uh, some of those ideas from from Ethan and Tolly into just a very simple diagram, um, this is something everyone used to know, um, and now we just say go on Alpha in about ten months' time. Um, so this is something you can do if someone says, um, "How do how do I find out about Jesus? How do I respond to Jesus?" Um, and it is based on two verses in the Book of Romans. Uh, Romans. 3, verse 23, and Romans 6, verse 23, conveniently, nice and easy to remember, uh, the Roman road. And it, Romans uh, 3.23 says that the wages of sin are death. And uh, unfortunately, that makes an enormous chasm between us who are over here, who have... Uh, managed to earn these wages of sin. Um, he's sitting on a very big stool there. Let's uh, make that a bit shorter. Uh, and God, who's over here? Let's give God a big crown. Uh, there's a big chasm. Uh, but Romans 6.23 says that the gift of God is eternal life. And the way that we get from one to the other is that God needs to make a bridge for us. And that bridge is the cross of Jesus. And his death and his resurrection mean that we can now walk through Jesus into the gift of God, which is eternal life. It's, a, it's simple. There's other ways to explain it. You can go back further. You can look at the way that God made creation. You can, there's just one part of the story. But someone ever says to you, well, What's the Christian faith all about? And how do I get to know Jesus? So well, the wages of sin are death. That's put us in a mess. That's put the world in a mess. But there's good news. Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life. And you can get there through the cross. There's more to it, but that's the beginning. And when you've got the beginning, you just need a sorry, a thank you, and a... Someone shout it out? Please, yeah. A sorry, a thank you, and a please. Just so easy. This is something all of us can do. I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for the cross. Please come into my life by the Holy Spirit. It's ever so easy, isn't it? 
Uh, what, how do I become a Christian? You just need to say, sorry, thank you, please. Why does it work? Because, well, there's a gap between us and God, the wages of sin of death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Well, let's pray, and we're going to get into this week's uh, talk and passage from Proverbs. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your gift, which is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that the gospel doesn't just leave us as people who have been saved, but encourages us to get even more saved, even more right with you as we go along. We pray that tonight you'll help set us on a path for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we were looking at the gospel, and it's just so good, isn't it? It's so wonderful to have a father who's singing over you, who's rejoicing in you, who's welcoming you home, who's quietening you with his love. It's a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful thing, especially when it's set against its truthful backdrop, which is the wages of sin or death. The Zephaniah 1, 2, and 3 and a half spell out that Romans 1 to 3 spells out all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When the great old evangelists uh, like Luther or Wesley used to preach, they'd spend 80 or 90% of the time making sure you realize that the wages of sin were death. Because it's only against the velvet backdrop that the diamond gleams so beautifully. And when you realize you haven't got a leg to stand on before God, then the rescue of Jesus looks even more incredible. But because the grace is so massive and so absolute and so fantastic, it's easy to get to the, the point of going, well, you know, what should I do then? He's done it all. He loves me. You know, he's rejoicing over me. I'll just sin. Romans 6 verse 1 says, oh, should we just carry on sinning then so grace can abound? God gets even more credit then. He's let me off even more stuff. I'll just keep mucking up, screwing up. I'll just live my own way. And actually, that's pretty much what I want to do anyway. So I tell you what, I'll have a deathbed repentance. Or maybe I won't go that far away. I'll just have you know, annual repentances or monthly repentances or Sunday repentances. So I'll just keep slipping away and then I'll come back. I'll zigzag my way through life. This morning we're saying it's like a yo-yo. One minute you're down in your sin and then you're pulled up in a great salvation moment and you're down in your sin, you're pulled up again. And you're like, you're, you're jumping across the bridge. You're going, whee, oh, whee, oh, whee, oh. And it's so easy to live the Christian life like that. In fact, I think it's quite possible to be addicted to the joy of the freedom moment. I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned. Oh, you've forgiven me. What a lovely buzzing feeling that is. And to be addicted to that buzz of the forgiveness moment. But is it possible to live a, a different way? And the book of Proverbs is, is one of those books of practical wisdom on how we can try and keep our feet walking in the right direction without veering off to the left or the right. And in fact, that's God's real desire for us. One, one verse in Proverbs says, don't be like the donkey who has to be guided with a bit in his mouth. He has to have his reins sort of yanked on him all the time. Instead, be someone who's just walking the right way, faithfully. There's a lot in the Bible for just being faithful. The steady, faithful, reliable servant of God. Much further you can go if you're walking in the right direction than if you're walking fast in the wrong direction a lot of the time. So in this introduction to Proverbs that we've heard read, it says that these Proverbs, these 31 chapters, will give you wisdom, instruction, understanding, words of insight. They'll help you to be prudent and be, do what's right and just and fair. They'll give prudence if you're feeling simple. 
They'll give knowledge and discretion if you're young. Even if you think you're wise already, listen and add to your learning. And if you think you're discerning, then get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And then it comes to this crucial verse that's repeated again and again through Scripture and really clear here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In other words, if you want to walk right with God, you need to have a relationship with him of fear, a fear of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean panic. It doesn't mean anxiety. It doesn't mean like a horror movie type setting. It's that sort of reverent awe of the Lord that actually is quite close to that experience that we were talking about last week, where the Lord's rejoicing over you, where he's, he, he's quietening you with his love. The reason that you're so glad to have the Lord's love when he quietens you there is it's an awesome person who's drawn you close. It's a big authority figure who quietens you with their love. Imagine Tolly there, enormous chest that he's got, a big man there. You're sort of quietened into... Tolly, imagine God's a hundred times bigger. You're quietened into him. You're quietened in him. He's an awesome character. That's why it works. That's why when he rejoices over you with gladness, it matters to you. That's why when he shouts, it's you, it's you. It's a good thing. He's not a little minion going, Ah, oh, Stephen's wonderful, Stephen's wonderful. That wouldn't get you out of bed in the morning. It would get you hiding away. But when the Lord God says you're wonderful, he's an awesome person. And it gets right through. It penetrates into your psyche. He's a father. And his words count over your life. They penetrate into your inner being. It's an awesome thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He is an awesome God. J.I. Packer's written a, a helpful little paragraph or two on what Uh, The fear is, let me try and read this for you. The word fear in the phrase fear of the Lord does not imply panic, but what it implies is reverence. It's not the sort of reverence, though, that rules out boldness. Christians know that through God's grace, their sins are forgiven and that they are in God's favor, so they can be bold in invoking him and looking to him and asking for his teaching and help. Panicky fear would inhibit all of that. If you're sort of scared of God, you're not going to go to him boldly. You fear him, and yet you're still bold to go to him. It's a a different sort of fear. Panic shaking in your boots fear is not the sort of fear that biblical writers are talking about. The fear of the Lord is reverence with boldness, yeah, but reverence linked to to awe at God's greatness and an active deep concern to obey and please him. And so he links it to Philippians 2, Verses 12 and 13, which says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So work out your salvation in fear and trembling. In other words, you've got across the bridge now. It's been a gift. You've got eternal life. But work it out carefully with fear and trembling. And while you're doing that, He's going to keep working in you. Being a Christian is not a one-time thing. You get saved and then you carry on getting saved. You are saved and you are being saved. It carries on. You have to keep working it out. And the key to it is vision. What are you looking at? Fix your eyes on Jesus. What Jesus? 
the nice saviour Jesus, the one who's paid the price for your sins. That's not what it says to fix your eyes on. It says fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So you're looking at him to make you holy. When it's fix your eyes upon Jesus, it's not look at him to sort of have a love in with him. It's not look at him to have a, please rescue me. It's perfect me, change me, transform me, make me. It's a hunger. And why is there this hunger in the Christian? It's because the Holy Spirit's been put into your heart. And what does the Holy Spirit want more than anything else? The Holy Spirit wants to commune with God the Father, with Jesus in triune glory. And he wants you, the carrier of him, to become as close to God as possible. He draws you to Jesus. He draws you to God. He draws you into holiness. He's not called the Holy Spirit for no reason. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, two things to note here in the book of Proverbs to make sense of it. I I said this this morning. It just sort of came out without me realizing it, but it struck me as maybe quite helpful. I was listening to the the book of Proverbs. Uh, Yes, I was driving up from the Samer offices in Somerset with a uh, a carload of stuff um, from, to, to bring up here to Chiswick. And uh, I thought, well, I'm preaching on Proverbs. I just want to understand the whole book. I'm going to listen to it. Took a couple of hours. I got through most of it, finished it this morning. And the thing that most struck me is it, it's a dad talking to his son and saying, look, this is the way to live your life right. But then if you look into it, there's a few different authors in the book adding their bits, but if you look into it, the main author is Solomon. And by anyone's count, someone who's got a couple of hundred wives and 700 concubines is not your ideal sense of a parental figure over your life if you're his son. I mean, which son are you? The 1,000th son? The 13th son? The 12th son? The first son? The son of his who took over power ended up a right mess. There's a chance it's our Solomon wasn't the world's best dad. And yet he imparts the thing that he has had from God, which is wisdom. It was the thing he prayed for in his early life when God gave him a choice for anything. What do you want? He says, I want wisdom. And he imparts that. And it struck me that if I was to do a straw poll of a room in a Western country, probably we would have ambiguous things to say about the parental figures in our lives. If you are someone in an eastern country, they will probably uh, be much more likely to say something very honoring about their father or mother, at least uh, in public. But our culture is one of Homer Simpsons and, uh, and Daddy Pig. We've been used to having these very negative and fairly inadequate parental figures and, and actually experiencing them in our community and home lives as well. And it struck me, well, Solomon wasn't a perfect dad, but he had wisdom to impart. And I wonder if, for some of us here in the West, we need to uh, remember that commandment that says, honor your mother and father, that it may go well for you and you may live a long time in the land that God is giving you. You know, there may be that they've got tons of stuff wrong, but it may be that with that murky bathwater that they've swam in, there's a baby worth of wisdom, at least, that we need to hold on to. Solomon wasn't a perfect guy to be imparting wisdom. And yet he says in uh, the next verse, listen to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They're a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. So the first thing, don't chuck out the baby with the bathwater. I wonder, 
what wisdom God might want to give you, even through people who may have some flaws. And the second thing is that this, this wisdom thing, as you go through Proverbs, maybe you'll want to read it yourself over the summer or listen to it. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs becomes a, a whole character. It's not just an abstract thing. It's, it's, a, it's a woman, and she's calling out in the street, drawing you to her. There's other characters who are drawing you into adultery or lust and other things going on as well. But wisdom is drawing you towards the holy God. It's like it's God's agenda for you. It's like it's God's personality for you. God's wisdom is, is his character, his almost female persona saying, come to me. Come and drink from me, draw from me. It's an, it's an incredible little bit of the Bible to reflect on. Get wisdom above all else. It's the thing that will hold you in your life. So I just encourage you to, to have a look at that. One of the things wisdom calls out later in chapter one is to repent at my rebuke. Then I'll pour out my thoughts to you. I'll make known to you my teachings. So when wisdom encourages you and gets your heart and goes, you're not quite right, well, repent and come back to him. That's what wisdom does. It says, don't just zigzag through your life. If you're meandering, get back on that narrow path quickly because that's the path that leads you into life. I'm going to uh, finish up there so we've got a chance to respond in worship and um, we'll see uh, Becky and Lydia's uh, uh, art offerings at, at the end of the service as well and, and reflect on them. But as I finish, let's just... Uh, Hold a moment of prayer together. And the image that I get very quickly is just of a, a rudder on a boat, the way that we, you hold a rudder on a, on a sailing boat. And the, the key thing is just to hold the thing steady. And I think the Lord would encourage us tonight to, to be steady, just easy as you go. Hold the course. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Ask that he'll give you that perfect love, that holiness, and fix your eyes on him and see where he takes you. Father, help us to be steady this year, this summer. Grant us with a, an amazing steadiness as we look at your word, as we respond to you in song, as we hang out together during the new wine days from Thursday onwards. Pray that you'll grant us an incredible steadiness to focus on Christ and become more like him and to gain his wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.